Healthwatch organisations were set up in 2012 by an Act of Parliament to have their ears to the ground, picking up public and patient concerns and views of their local health and care services. Each local authority in England has a local health watch. Healthwatch used the insights gathered to advise council and NHS leaders about their community's needs to ensure that residents' views are heard and acted on in decisions about local health and care services. Since 2018, we've been researching the work and relationships of Local Health Watch. In this podcast series, we talk to people who know about Health Watch, about the work of Local Health Watch. We hope by listening to these podcasts, you'll get an insight into this organization, which, despite the mission of representing people's voices, remain themselves larger and known. I'm Amit Desai. And I'm Julia Zuccatelli. We're both research fellows at King's College London. This is the Exploring Health Watch podcast. In this third episode, we're talking to Professor Graham Martin, who is our colleague on the project and the Director of Research at the Healthcare Improvement Study Institute at the University of Cambridge. Graham's an expert in the study of the organisation and delivery of healthcare, and he's looked specifically at the role of professionals, managers and patients in the public in efforts at organisational change, including the work of Healthwatch. In this episode, We'll be talking to him about the history of Healthwatch and about what came before and how changes in the NHS and in the political landscape more broadly affects the role and importance of patient and public voice in England. Hi, Graham. Hi, great to see you again. Hi, Julia. Hi, Amit. Good to see you. Looking forward to this conversation. Um, you, you know, you've worked on Healthwatch um, and Healthwatch-like organisations for a long time and thought about them over many years, over many different iterations. Um it would be great to hear a little bit about your background in in looking at Healthwatch and pre-Healthwatch type organisations and, and why you're interested in this whole world of patients and public somehow being involved in yeah. health systems. Sure, thank you, Amit. So my background in this area in terms of patient and public involvement in healthcare goes back to my PhD, actually, um, where... To, to cut a fairly long story short, I was working on a Department of Health funded study of genetic services in the NHS. Um, and I was working with a few other people on it. And we looked at what was interesting about this. And something that was interesting to me and was of less interest to my colleagues was the way in which patient and public involvement was being introduced in some of these services. So I got interested in it and, you know, I suppose developed an expertise in it. I did an empirical study of those services and what difference patient and public involvement of various forms made to them. And I think various forms is probably the, the, the key words there, because this was probably in relatively early days of patient and public involvement in health service development. There's been a lot more written about it and a lot more thought about it since then. But nevertheless, I think it's still true that you do see a lot of different forms of patient and public involvement in healthcare service delivery. There isn't a single template even now. And I don't think there's necessarily agreement, actually, on what it should look like. Yeah, you're talking about the different forms of patient public involvement. Obviously, there isn't a template for the ways in which patients are involved in research as well as service improvement mm. and all these sort of uh, areas. But there is a uh, long-lasting way of conceiving uh, institutionally patient public involvement mm. in the UK. Since the 1970s, we had publicly funded bodies that represent uh, the voice of patients in the planning and delivering of healthcare mm. services, the latest iteration of which is Healthwatch itself. So do you want to guide us through like what, how we ended up with Earthwatch? What is the history of that form? Yeah, 
competition publication? Yeah, certainly. Um, so as you say, the sort of the officially mandated forums um, for patient and public involvement, most histories would trace those back to the 1970s. And this is applying to England uh, and sometimes Wales, but obviously we have slightly divergent healthcare systems across the UK. So most of what I will say will apply to England specifically, and of course, Healthwatch uh, applied to England specifically. But yeah, community health councils were introduced in the 1970s. And there's, there's lots of quite good histories, both of the NHS in general and the patient and public involvement in particular. But the common way of understanding that history is that CHCs, community health councils, really can be understood partly in terms of the reorganisation of the NHS in, I think it was 73. Uh, and we'll see that when we fast forward to, to later iterations of patient and public involvement, that NHS reorganisation is a big part in that. But I think the other thing is kind of the, 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 the zeitgeist, the spirit of the times then. So this is... You know, early 1970s, um, we've had uh, lots of movements, you know, what are sometimes called new social movements in the UK, in the United States and other developed world countries. So uh, stuff around civil liberties, for example, gender liberation, the mental health service user movement in relation to healthcare in particular is picking up pace at that time. So I think it's reasonable to locate that first kind of formal official forum for patient and public involvement in, in terms of those kinds of changes. And then what's interesting is that community health councils last for pretty much three decades with relatively little change to them. So you've got this, you know, remarkable stability, particularly in terms of the NHS, which over that period is, is undergoing several reorganizations. Patient and public involvement remains untouched. Of course, there's lots of local innovations around uh, patient and public involvement. But in terms of this official conduit, it's still community health councils with a very specific composition in terms of the people that make them up. And um, I think it's partly local councillors, partly people who are appointed by the health authority. Uh, and then it's um, local voluntary sector organisations, as I recall. That might not be quite right, but it's something like that. So a third, third, third very particular idea of what patient and public involvement does. And if you look back on community health councils now, and this is sort of several iterations, which we'll come to shortly later, people look on them quite fondly. I think, if you, again, if you look at the histories, then it's quite a patchy history. So some community health councils were really effective. A lot of them really didn't do much. And some of them were uh, perhaps overly, well, not overly, but were more radical or more assertive than the healthcare system liked. But nevertheless, we've got that kind of stability for three decades. And I think one way to understand that is that it was relatively easy to leave it untouched um, and, you know, not to mess with it. So what changes three decades later? Well, in 1997, we have a new government. We have um, a, a new Labour government led by Tony Blair with a public service reform agenda quite central to that. And, you know, extra investment, particularly in the NHS, but in other, other public services as well. And we have various NHS reforms as part of that. And um, I can't remember now, it's got a very odd name, the 2003 Act, I think, that abolished community health councils and replaced them with um, PPI forums. So the first replacement, as I say, in about three decades, suddenly you have this change and PPI forums are introduced, but only another four or five years later, they are replaced themselves by uh, local involvement networks. And we'll come back to these two organisations, both of which were quite short-lived. And then in 2012, those local involvement networks or links are replaced again by Healthwatch. So you know, you've gone from a period of 30 years of apparent stability, perhaps with things going on beneath the surface, to a very sudden period where you've got, you know, three organisations replaced in a decade or thereabouts. So how to understand that? Well, um, I think it's partly explained by 
the fact that all of a sudden people are much more interested in this. So they, you know, whereas not everywhere, I'm sure, but in some places, community health councils could be, were on the sidelines, were perhaps marginalised, could be quietly ignored. You know, New Labour was very clear that this was, to, that public service reform must be driven by the needs and wishes of the public. So you've got to have a form for that, that the government at least sees as fit for purpose. And they seem to see uh, CHCs, community health councils, as not fit for purpose, and PPI forums as better for that. But then the reforms continue, and in particular, new labour moves away from um, a focus on collaboration and networks and cooperation as a means of improving public services, much more towards what's sometimes referred to as a new public management mindset. And in that mindset is the idea that private sector ethos, ideas, um, discipline is, is is good for improving the public sector. And that's quite a sharp change if you look at it from 1997 to perhaps the mid-2000s, all under the same prime minister, but under, under a succession of secretaries of state for health. And as part of that new public management mindset, you have the idea that competition is your, you know, one of your key means of improving healthcare. And there were problems with PPI forums, undoubtedly, but perhaps the main thing driving the introduction of local involvement networks links was they're explicitly tied into new approaches to commissioning healthcare services, which involved the introduction of um, what they were called primary care groups. They became primary care trusts, and those eventually later on still evolved um, into um, CCGs, clinical commissioning groups. That was in 2012. But you've got this, you know, you've basically got the locus of trying to drive healthcare improvements and efficiency and, and the standards of public services, being located with those commissioners, so proxy consumers, groups making choices on behalf of the populations they serve. That's where the idea, you know, that, that's where people are seeing um, improvements as being driven from, rightly or wrongly. And there's lots of problems, of course, which we don't have time to go into with the idea that competition works to improve public services. But if you are taking that view, if you're taking the view that it's this proxy consumer commissioner working on behalf of a local population, recognizing their needs and then driving change in the providers, if that's where you're saying that change is driven from, then you've got to align the system of public and patient involvement with that as well, which is exactly what happened with local involvement networks. So they were aligned to those um, uh, primary care trusts. And then lo and behold, uh, you have another change of government in, was it 2009, 2010, the uh, coalition government, and they, not in their manifestos, but in their actions, they have another um, reorganization of the healthcare system in mind, even more in the views of many people, <clears throat> um, new public management oriented, placing even more of an emphasis on competition and um, the value of having multiple providers of healthcare services, including non-NHS, private sector, for-profits and community sector organisations. And so the PCTs go and with them go the links and along come these health watch. The other thing that's probably worth mentioning very briefly is that besides those kinds of differing ideas about where the driver of change happens, whether it's to be found in people cooperating or competing, to put it very crudely. Alongside that change in views, there's also a kind of a shifting emphasis about whether this should be more bottom-up or top-down. So um, between PPI forums and links and then Healthwatch, there's a lot of changes actually at the sort of the national level in terms of whether the, the national organisation should provide oversight or really should be very minimalistic or should be an umbrella organisation, something that brings together different ideas. So those are also differences of organization between those three organizations. So that's a really long answer, but I suppose it goes some way towards explaining why you have such a long uh, period of stability. 
and then such a short period of successive you know three rounds of changes yeah just focusing now a bit on the more recent history i suppose let's say from 2012 onwards or maybe this was kind of being introduced you know through the links as you described what's curious is as we all know you know from the research that we've done together and 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 before is that healthwatch was talked about in that 2012 act and in the policy documents as being the consumer champion mm. for uh, for people and for in in healthcare that's kind of curious turn of phrase and i think it's something that healthwatch don't really talk about in in the talk about themselves in that way anymore could you provide some insight into because you know it relates a little bit to what you're saying just now about the new public management anyway just yeah if you could just reflect a little bit on the cons- I, consumer champion yeah. uh, bit of health watch and, and why that's maybe not doesn't seem to be around as much anymore i can i can certainly try to provide some insights although i think um in, in a sense i think a lot of this can perhaps be explained by inattention rather than attention to detail and certainly as you say the voice of uh, the the language of consumerism was quite prominent in the 2012 reforms in particular, and perhaps with links to some extent as well. Um, And of course, you know, what do you need to make a market function? You need a consumer, you need consumer voice, you need consumer choices to drive those changes. And as you say, consumer is certainly a word that's used in the documents of the time. So we've got a 2012, 2013 document, which tries to explain um, local health watch as an idea, which was published by the Department of Health. And what's interesting about that is that almost certainly on the same page, but actually almost in the same sentence, it uses words that we often think of as as representing quite different constructions of the public. So it talks about consumers, but it talks about citizens as well. It talks about patients and carers. It talks about local communities. And, you know, to some extent, if you you don't look at them too deeply, these are quite innocuous and it's just, you know, synonyms more or less. But actually, they they do connote very different ideas about who this public is and what kind of a contribution they can make to the healthcare system. So I think, I mean, like I said, I don't know if I can provide insight into the reasons for that. I think it's possibly partly a little bit of inattentiveness, as I say. I think it possibly also reflects competing ideas, actually, amongst you know policymakers, civil servants, um, people in the NHS, perhaps secretaries of state as well, as to exactly what what it is we want out of the public in these um, situations. So that was the, the 2012 Act. Consumerism is definitely in there. But on the other hand, if you look at some of the ideas that are central to that 2012 Act, and particularly that it's going to be all about competition, that all changes really quite quickly after 2012. Um, why? Well, I think a few reasons. There's another change of Secretary of State for Health. Jeremy Hunt is uh, becomes Secretary of State for Health, later Health and Social Care. Um, there's changes at the top of the NHS as well. And particularly, there is a very strong focus on essentially the demographic and management challenges that the NHS is going to face over the next five or 10 years. And the gap between the projected budget and the, protect, uh, the predicted increased need of the NHS. But what's crucial in things like the five-year forward view is that it really doesn't talk much about competition. Rather, it foregrounds collaboration, cooperation, integration as the key means to achieving this. So within a space of sort of three, four years, you've got a very big change in the discourse, at least, and perhaps the practice as well of the organization of the NHS. So people aren't really talking about competition. Yes, private sector involvement is definitely there, as we've said, but as an organizing principle, suddenly it's becoming all about 
collaboration, integration as a means to achieving the sustainability and transformation of the NHS. And of course, we have sustainability and transformation plans. And those really are the, um, the origin story, if you like, of the most recent national act, the 2022 act, which um, introduces integrated care systems with integrated care boards overlooking them and integrated care partnerships trying to achieve um, alignment with local authorities. Those become officially in 2022, but in shadow form for several years before that, the key means of organizing the NHS. And yes, they include private sector providers, but the emphasis, the mood music is all about how to collaborate within those systems, join up care pathways, optimize the provision of care. These providers aren't being asked to compete with one another, although that's being emphasized much less. They're being asked to think about how they work together to provide high quality health care that will address this demographic challenge, this financial challenge that the NHS is, is facing. So that's not about Health Watch, but it obviously has a really important impact on the kind of organization systems at a local level that Health Watch are trying to play into. And it's probably quite a different matter for a Health Watch to try to play into one of now 42 um, ICSs nationally. Um, that are all focused on collaboration and try and provide the patient and public input into that than it is to um, try to input into a, a sort of a competitive environment. Yeah, it's very interesting what you're saying, like the swing from collaboration into competition and then collaboration. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so one question then about this new ways of collaborating that you, you've just mentioned. I mean, it, collaboration is, is, is shifted in, in terms of the scale of the activities that Earthwatch is required like to take part to and the type of voice that is supposed to provide it to the system, meaning that whereas since Community Health Councils onwards, Earthwatch has always operated at a very local level. Mm-hmm. So the type of collaboration that we were talking about like, has always been very local, like the local authority. Mm-hmm. What's happening now that the collaboration is beyond that level and uh, it will require Healthwatch not just to operate with a different sets of stakeholders but also to collaborate with other Healthwatch as well. So what sort of dynamic do you envision happening on that? Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Um, and I suppose a challenge that Healthwatch have faced all along because they're organised according to the geography of local authorities rather than healthcare systems is there's never been that kind of close fit of what they cover to either commissioning or provider organizations. So, you know, that's that's always had challenges. And it feels like that's been rescaled by um, the most recent act and the introduction of uh, introduction rather of ICS. But it's just it's, it's kind of like you've just you've got lots of jigsaw pieces and you're giving them a good shuffle again and they still don't quite line up with each other. I think as I said, you know, sort of hinted at the end of the last answer that I gave that probably this is a slightly preferable challenge for um, health watch organizations trying to feed into a collaborative system and a collaborative system that does emphasize the importance of the patient and public voice feels to me a bit more promising than trying to feed into a system premised on competition, particularly when you're likely to have, you know, in, in many cases, several clinical commissioning groups that you're trying to work with if you're organized according to one local authority. And there is also the fact that the integrated care systems via the integrated care partnerships are also meant to feed into to local authorities. So suddenly that kind of mismatch between local authority geography and healthcare geography is not just a problem for Health Watch, it's a problem for ICS as well. And, and you know, they, it's something they need to address. 
The challenge, as you've said, is that now it's very likely that most health watch, you know, 150 odd of them are going to need to collaborate with neighboring health watch if the ICS is the level at which they're feeding in. And, you know, it's going to be typically, this will vary a lot, but on average, it's going to be about three health watch per ICS if there are 42 ICS and 150 odd um, health watch organizations. So that probably increases the need for them to work with their neighbors. And of course, we know that, you know, whilst Healthwatch are encouraged to collaborate and share knowledge by Healthwatch England, that, that may not always be the case. And again, Healthwatch by the 2012 Act or Healthwatch providers have kind of been set up in competition with one another in that they are tended competitively by the local authority or the service. So it's quite plausible. And I think we have seen examples of this, that two neighboring Healthwatch providers both went to the same contract and one of them gets it and the other one doesn't. Well, it's difficult to see how that's not going to rancor, you know, leave a little bit of rancor, a little bit of hard feeling with with partners. And, you know, people are people. These kinds of histories are going to impact on that. So that's, you know, kind of an interpersonal challenge for neighboring Health Watch to get over. Um, so there's that. I think the other big question is how um, integrated care boards, so you know, the successes to commission is essentially the, the boards that oversee a local integrated care system, what their attitude is both to patient and public involvement in general. So do they welcome the public voice? Do they give it meaningful airing? Um, do they listen to it? Is it tangibly influencing their decisions? Do they think that other organizations are better placed to speak for the public than they are? So there's that general kind of philosophy um, around patient and public involvement, which I'm sure varies from ICS to ICS. So that's one challenge. And then the, the other challenge is, is it health watch that those ICS or ICBs see as the most obvious, the natural voice for the patients in the public in their local area? And yeah, there might be three different health watch. If they're, if they see themselves in competition with one another, then it may well be that the ICS sees them in the same way. But there's other organizations as well that may um, be legitimate speakers for the public in general or for particular sections of the public, particular patient groups, particular demographic groups, they may well want a place at that table as well. So there's an interesting, almost strategic and to some extent political challenge, I think, for Health Watch in how they work with each other, how they position themselves, the their claim to legitimacy in terms of who they speak for and, and how they can show that, that voice is authentic and reflects different um, publics and different groups of patients. And then, you know, the, the kind of have they got a seat at the table of the real key decision-making bodies at integrated care system level, perhaps the board itself, perhaps committees of the board, there may be other ways in as well. And of course, at the same time, they've also got to think about how they collaborate with the providers because those provider organizations are still important units within any integrated care system ecosystem, if you like. So interesting challenges. I think what I would say is that this isn't, of course, really new. It's probably something that's emerged quite gradually. And I think Astute Health Watch, you know, who have got the right connections and who who are you know, keeping an eye on the developing horizons will have been able to to see, you know, how the, the dice are rolling, how those jigsaw pieces are falling over several years. And so hopefully we'll have been able to get themselves into positions where they understand that local picture and are able to respond to it effectively. Let's talk a little bit about patient and public voice now, I think. I think it'd be quite interesting to look at that in a bit more detail because, you know, listeners of this podcast might be thinking, you know, patient voice or public voice isn't just, oh, um, I can't register, um, I can't access dental 
services, for instance, in my area on mental health watch about that, and maybe they do something about it. It's I don't want RA&E to be shut down, or I don't want private organisations like Virgin Care or whatever else it may be to be running local health or care services. Do you think there's a difficulty? Like, is is that something that Health Watch is that something that Health Watch is interested in conveying or acting within? I suppose the question that some listeners might have is: Is Health Watch a campaigning organisation? Is it an activist organisation? What what kinds of patient voices does it represent, and what kinds of public or patient voices does it not represent? Um, I think it's a it's a real challenge for Health Watch, and again, it's a kind of a strategic challenge in some sense. Um, and by that, I mean almost a kind of an organizational survival challenge because, you know, they, they remain commissioned by local authorities. So they will be judged to some extent against the, the extent to which they deliver on, you know, um, agreed service standards and the like. So there's that kind of pressure on them. Um, as we were saying right at the beginning, there is no kind of single agreed purpose for well, for patient and public involvement in general and for Health Watch in particular. So you've got all that stuff from that goes back to 2012 about consumers, citizens, communities, representing, speaking for, you know, what they're actually meant to be doing. It's all quite, at least plenty open, I think, to local interpretation. So there's no necessary obje- objective gold standard for them to try to achieve. So that's, you know, that's this legitimate discussion to have about um what the best uh, form of input is. I think there is, as I say, it's it's partly a tactical, partly a strategic, and partly a political decision about which voices of the public they should be representing. And if you look at national polls, you will see time and time again, one, that the NHS is very popular, two, that people are opposed to the idea of privatizing the NHS, although privatization means many, many different things to many different people. And three, that they think the NHS should be, you know, well-funded and nurses in particular should be better paid. You know, these are in simple kind of populist terms in terms of the proportion of the population who want different things. These are definitely things the public is calling for. But a health watch will need to ask itself whether those are the battles it is best picking. You know, so should it be challenging private sector involvement, for example? Should it be challenging A&E closures, which are, you know, there might be a case for any particular situation or there might not, but they're hugely contested, hugely prickly political um, conversations to be having. They might well be popular with a substantial proportion of the local population. They might even be popular with the majority of the local population. But from the Health Watch's point of view, is this going to be effective, first of all, in positioning the Health Watch as an influential actor, and second of all, in achieving change, when actually there are probably much more practical, pragmatic things that that Health Watch could be doing, where at the end of the day, they'll be able to say, look, we have contributed tangibly to improving this care pathway across the ICS, for example. We can show that we made a contribution, we can evidence that, that the public voice was heard, that it made these changes to the pathway. So that's good for the system. It's good for the Health Watch because they can show that they are delivering on what they're funded to do. And so, you know, there's certainly a temptation, and I'm not saying it's the, the wrong thing to do, but it's 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 an active choice that Health Watch needs to make about whether they go down that path of less resistance, they work as a as a trusted collaborator, they're an insider offering critical comments, but collaborating nevertheless, or should they take a more radical position? Should they be outside the, the, the greenhouse throwing stones rather than in-house trying to say, this is how you change things? It's not an easy decision to make at all. But I do think that, you know, to some extent, Health Watch's hands are tied, and I think some of our empirical work bears this out, 
that if they take that more um, outsider, challenging perspective rather than being the critical friend, then it's, it's a difficult position to sustain just because the system is not designed around that. The system is designed around a health watch that is commissioned by the local authority that makes this productive contribution to local health system governance that, that, that doesn't throw stones, that perhaps raises the odd issue, but which fundamentally works with the grain, far too many metaphors here, rather than against the grain in trying to achieve improvement. So it's a really difficult position for a health watch to take. That's been fantastic, Graham. That's that's excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. It's great to see you again and see you again soon. Thank you. Good, good to see you too. Thanks for having me. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Graham. Bye. So today we were speaking to Professor Graham Martin, our colleague on the study and director of research at the Healthcare Improvement Studies Institute at the University of Cambridge. Goodbye and thanks for listening. Bye, everyone. This podcast episode was hosted and produced by Amit Desai and Julia Zaccatelli. The HealthWatch study team are Sally Brealy, Amit Desai, Graham Martin, Glenn Robert and Julia Zaccatelli. This podcast was produced as part of a project funded by the National Institute for Health and Care Research, the NIHR. The study was funded by the NIHR Health and Social Care Delivery Research Programme. Award number 1705110HSDR. The views expressed here are those of the study team and not necessarily those of the NIHR or the Department of Health and Social Care. Mm-hmm.